just past 7 o'clock. It's going to be a good one. It's time for Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel on Mike Balsamo. And Ira, Super Bowl's over. You were right and I was wrong about what was going to happen. And I know you're a little bit animated about how it went down. I almost felt bad. Like, I felt bad I was right. I mean, I, <laughs> I think it played out at the end that uh, Jimmy G was horrendous. And I, I, I've listened to about 50 people talk about it today, maybe 100, all the stations. And whether it's Kyle Shanahan, the coach at San Francisco, or it's Jimmy G's or the defense is followed. But Jimmy G was, you have that lead and you can win the game. And his throws were awful. They were high school throws. And I, that pass to Sanders to win the game at the end was absolutely horrendous. And I just think that Jimmy G played, to, I think the call, play calling by, I give them both. Kyle Shanahan was terrible for a guy that knew what he had to deal with, that knew that, that he blew a 28-3 lead a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and it was asked question after question and he does the same thing again. It was absolutely crazy, and we'll talk more about that in just a little while. Two great guests tonight. One of them is going to be Bob Moore. He's been on this show before. Um, he's the former PR director for the Chiefs, and he's going to have a lot to say, I think. Yeah, I mean, Bob's been with the Chiefs for 30 years. It's hard to find a, someone who's been on a team with for 30 years. 20 years as the PR director, 10 years as a historian. They actually mm-hmm. have a team historian. And so it's going to be great to – I'm going to ask him a lot of questions. I mean, he was at the game. He was, you know, with the whole Chief contingent and, and everything. So, But Bob's great, and uh, – a lot of insight. He, I, I mean, I was texting him earlier today. He was so excited. Yeah. I mean, any, anybody who's a Chiefs fan today is just on cloud nine. Absolutely, and they deserve it. And then at 7.50, this is a pre-taped interview we did with, um, we did with Pat Williams. And this is going to be a really, we already did it. It's a very good interview. Great interview. Pat was there. We tried to get him on last week because of Kobe Bryant. He actually was a GM at the 76ers when they drafted Kobe's father. Yeah. He was there when Kobe was born. I mean, he, he had been, so he's got his insight into uh, um, the whole, Kobe Bryant and his development in the NBA and also we talked about the magic and his work with some baseball so is, Pat Williams is phenomenal he's great I mean anyone who was just tremendous for bringing uh, NBA basketball to Orlando so uh, we'll, we'll catch up with uh, Bob Moore at 7.30 Pat Williams at 7.50 let's get into it Ira you're all decked out in your Super Bowl gear and you told me earlier that you think you're going to catch a lot of flack from your friends but you weren't able to get into the game Yes, I've been called that I'm now counterfeit wearing what I'm wearing. <laughs> but, uh, because like when I went to Phoenix, there was this mountain you have to climb. It said, I climbed. My friend who sat at the bottom of the mountain and drank beer the whole time I walked up had one of those shirts. I said, <laughs> how can you wear that? You didn't do that. But yes, I do have my... But I was outside the stadium for four hours walking around the stadium trying to scalp tickets. And we talked about this on the air last week. Uh, ticket prices were three times more than the highest Super Bowl ever. Um, the get-ins were around $6,000, and they didn't drop at all. And I was outside. And I, I would have never done this at any other game. I went to the stadium with $3,000, and uh, uh, I couldn't. I mean, people laughed at me. Yeah. It was like I, brokers that I've dealt with before were like, you're not even thinking of it. I mean, and I literally I saw people pay $9,000 for 50-yard line tickets a single. And there was just very little tickets. Everything was fake. Um, it was besides the preachers that were out there. I've been told I was going to hell like a million times. So that was a, <laughs> it. Was, it was a crazy scene outside. Just an absolute crazy scene uh, going around. And, and I'm, used to, I'm used to do that. But now with the electronic tickets. And I felt bad for a guy. He... He was, gave his two tickets to his grandson and his wife that he got through the Chiefs, and he was out there just going to buy one for himself. Spent was there for three hours trying to get a ticket. Finally got a ticket for 3500 The scalper walked him to the gate, walked him in, and the ticket won't go through. So he lost, and the scalper ran away. So he lost $3,500 just like that. Absolutely and crazy. I, and that what it is is sometimes even it's a real ticket, but that the electronic ticket went in earlier, and the barcode then was invalid. So he could even, if you look at a ticket and think it's real, it was too, it was too, it was impossible. I wasn't going to take any risk for tickets and uh, you know it's interesting I knew these brokers that are more like office brokers they were actually out there looking and trying to buy tickets meaning that they either had orders to fill for clients they couldn't fill or they saw what the market was but more most likely they had orders to fill for people and wanted to go and I've never saw them on the street in like 10 years that's so crazy it was absolutely a mob scene in terms of getting there and, and going around the stadium and but, you know, I thought if there's a chance, there's always that chance that, I mean, I went to a Laker game one time uh, in the NBA playoffs and I'm working around the stadium and Brian Gumbel gets out of car and says, oh, here's my ticket and I'm in a suite at the NBC. So you never know what's going to happen because <laughs> you're there. But the good thing is that I left at six o'clock and went to the Hard Rock Casino. They have a VIP uh, party, viewing party, had like 20 big screen TVs up there. It was awesome to watch. And uh, with food, it was really good. So at least I caught the beginning of the game. I caught the whole game. You did almost get a ticket from a guy. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there was a fight. A Chiefs fan and a 49ers fan got in a fight. And, I had been t- and so when they got to fight the guy, then they handcuffed him. And while he's handcuffed, he had his ticket around him. <laughs> so I said, could I buy your ticket? I mean, I think you probably need some money for bail. And he says, okay. <laughs> they, they were, they were going to, so I was close to getting that ticket. But then the police uh, didn't arrest him anymore. They took him out. They, they, so then he went in the game. But I was hoping, I really was hoping he was going to get arrested. <laughs> Poor Robert rooting for this guy to go to jail. Well, he had the cuffs <laughs> yeah. on. I don't know what they did. Oh, you know what's so funny is, okay, this is the other story, is that I'm there and I'm trying to buy tickets and I, you walk around and there's really no tickets outside. It wasn't like there's someone standing. It's, not, it's like a normal game where you sometimes mm-hmm. see some tickets so this so a couple people came to the game within horses like they rode a horse which i don't that's, that's crazy to the game and the guy offered to sell me his horse so but and that was cheaper <laughs> than the super bowl ticket i could have bought a horse but you i should have taken the horse i chose not the horse i wanted to go to the game you would have looked real good pulling up to the uh, valet at, at hard rock with, with the horse ira <laughs> um so let's talk about the game um I, I, I don't know what to think of it, and, and I have to agree with you that there is definitely issues with play calling. Kyle Shanahan didn't get the job done once again. Jimmy G missed some big throws, so let's uh, let's talk about it. I know you're very critical of Jimmy right now. Well, I want to say that the, the 49ers had this game one. I think for three and a half quarters they played, they coached and played very well. It was a perfect game, mm. and but you can't blow a Super Bowl like you can't. You have the Super Bowl one, and that's the problem. It's like you look at these people don't talk about the Atlanta Falcons as Super Bowl winners. Like, this was your chance as the 49ers to win this game. And Jimmy G might never be back. It might be. It's been, what, 50 years since the Chiefs been back. So this was your chance. And you got to just do what you did. I, I really think they had their chance. And we've been talking. And we're going to the main theme I have on the show is the whole the run pass thing is that you know how good Mahomes is a quarterback. You know he can just come back. They could be down 50 to nothing, and he's going to come back. But just don't give him the ball. The 49ers were the only team in the NFL, besides Derrick Henry, really, but even the 49ers were stronger on their line that could just, like, we're going to run the ball. We're going to throw play-action passes. We're going to have, like, a nine-minute drive. And guess what, Pat? We have a 22. If you told you know, the ESPN probability, 96%. 96%. And that's with them. It's like, and I thought it was almost 100. I'm like, just get, they were, like, three first downs away because Mahomes, can't score 10 points on one play. He couldn't do it. It doesn't matter. And you have to get an onside kick, which you can't get. But their inability in that fourth quarter was a disaster. No, it, it was. And I agree with you. And there's, you know, I think you said two second and fives where it's like, you gotta be running the ball here. And they didn't. So uh, let's talk about it. I'm happy for Andy Reid. You know, you know I, I think he's a very likable guy. I'm happy to see him cement his place in, all, in the Hall of Fame if he wasn't ready. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, he's the guy has been to 15 of the 20 years in the playoffs. He's been to uh, 2001 through 2004 is in the NFC Championship game. And then last year, he loses the AFC Championship game. So he, he's a playoff performer, just keeps losing the playoffs. You know, for me, the Steelers beat him all the time, which is great. And the Patriots, I mean, everyone seems to beat him with good play. But he just, today, this year, but he almost, he, he should have lost this game. Yeah. I mean, it really, again, it, I, I, Shanahan, I just, I just, I really, if you want to say who won and who lost, look, I know what Kansas City could do. I understood. It, it, San Francisco had this game. They could have. They could have prevented Kansas City from coming back like that. So let's talk about the get into the uh, get into the game here. The first quarter, it, it was uh, it was looking good for San Fran early. Well, the Chiefs go three and out. I mean, they first of all they defer, which you expected. They would yep. defer after winning the the kick or the, the coin toss and three and out. So with two incompletions, and that's what they've been. You know, Chiefs Mahomes were saying all week. He goes, "I'm going to be great in the first quarter. We're going to not do what we did, but they did exactly what yeah. they were slow." And then the Niners. Well, funny thing, the Niners fumbled that punt. Almost on the first punt when they fumbled it, I'm like, that could have been. But then you saw what the Niners were doing. The Debo Samuel runs. He's the best running wide receiver in the NFC, in the in the league. And they were utilizing him correctly and then leave, letting Jimmy G throw passes to Kittles and those things. But uh, on third and five, again, it was, an, it was a pass to Kittles that he, you know, that could have been a touchdown on that first drive. Only a field goal, 3 nothing. And then the, uh, but then the Chiefs came back and Damon Williams, I, you know, I guess the I, I, you want to go back and look at the Dolphins. They have uh, Tannehill, Williams, Kenyon Drake. Um, of course, they had no good offense at all. I mean, and Gase, and Mostert too. I think and, uh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Williams couldn't get time because I had him on my fantasy team when he was with the Dolphins. They just couldn't figure out how to get him the ball. But now he's the should have been maybe the MVP of the Super Bowl. He should have been the MVP. Yeah. It's just unbelievable the Dolphins. But uh, <laughs> Mahomes worked you know down and, and the key was on third and eleven when when he had that scramble and he was knocked down at the, at the one yard line and came back. But that his running Mahomes, just the whole playoffs, his ability to 
you know, not throw the pass, but actually just run and scramble and get the first down. It was on fourth and one, and then they did that shift. I mean, that was amazing. The NSYNC, mm-hmm. they call the NSYNC shift, that he pulled from the Michigan game in the Rose Bowl in 1949, where they lined up, and then they moved around, and I completely didn't get called for motion on that. It seemed mm-hmm. like that would have been Illegal that. formation or yeah, something. Yeah, but then they ran it in and made it 7-3. But it was like, at that point, though, and like, you know what? There was point that point of the game, the beginning of the game, I'm thinking, okay, San Francisco's Getting it blown out, like I mean, they're down seven three. You think that Kansas City is going to keep going, but uh, uh, and then Jimmy G to, um, was through that interception. So I'm like, oh, see again, Jimmy G with the interception, just like he did. I just was not, you know, sold on that. But and the Chiefs go down, and uh, they were able to get that uh, field goal to make it ten three. So now 10-3, Jimmy G looks terrible. Mm-hmm. You're like, at that point, I'm like, it's second quarter. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I w- Hopefully I didn't you know, spend money on this game. And it could be a blowout, like a 41. The <laughs> Super Bowls, as we talked about in the past, have been just blowouts. And yeah, that looked like it was becoming a blowout. But then San Francisco, they got back to doing what they did. And that's what showed their offensive line, dominating, dominating the Chiefs line. Uh, Mostart, I, I thought I, they should have started Mostart instead of Coleman. I know yeah, Coleman I know. was I the starter. I was surprised that he was in there. And Mostart, He's one saw, of the greatest postseasons of running backs ever had. Yes, that <laughs> Packer game was unbelievable. And not to start him, I think that was, I think he just runs so hard. And I know Coleman is what they did, and he's more as fast and whatever. But I would have just had, I would have said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have Mostart. And he ran the ball. 30 times anyway mm. let the guy run the ball and it might have been Shanahan over coaching you know what I mean trying to make something out of nothing but they did that play they went down and Jimmy G to used that and they tied it 10-10 so then I'm like okay well now Kansas City's defense doesn't look so good and then uh, uh, then the Chiefs go uh, first and 10 on their own 48 you know they got the ball on their 48 and uh, uh, and then they lost yardage so it's like third and mm-hmm. 14 there's a minute 53 left in the in the in the half, and this is the whole idea: of call timeout or knock timeout. So my point is, the score is ten ten. It's a minute fifty eight, and everyone's criticizing Shannon. I don't know, but this was a tough call because they would have got it down to like the one yard line or two yard line, then they couldn't got out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they were punting from the fifty. So I don't know. What do you think in terms of that? It just seemed to me that was a tough decision. I don't think it's as clear that Shanahan was like, because it, the timeout that he should have called was when the Chiefs had the ball, but he didn't mm-hmm. know where the punt was going to be. If he knew he was going to get the ball on the 20-yard line, of course he wouldn't have called timeout. It's seven You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. At 7.30, Bob Moore, the uh, former PR director, current historian of the Kansas City Chiefs, joins us, and then the Orlando Magic founder and longtime GM, Pat Williams, at 7.50. It doesn't really matter what I thought about an Ira. John Lynn she was photographed in the booth. Time out, time out. And the, of general, course, the general manager yeah. and Kyle Shanahan's boss, you yeah. know, the one who can just fire him tomorrow. Absolutely. That. But, um, they, they, you know, they threw it down and, and the Kittles and the other play was the Kittles pass. The, when Jimmy G threw it down the field to, uh, to Kittle and uh, he... He just, I mean, they called the offensive pass interference, but we've seen football. I haven't, that call, I thought was, a, everyone thinks it's a great call, so all about 50 of the commentators said, oh, that should have been the right call. Mm-hmm. But I, we've seen the Kyle Rudolph play. We've seen the push-offs from the tight ends. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't think it was that clear that was offensive pass no. interference. No, and no. that would have given them a 13-10 lead. But I also, but I, again, I'm not bashing Shanahan for that decision because he didn't know where he was going to get the ball. If it was going to be down at the one-yard line, call a timeout, you're not going to run four plays, have the Chiefs pin you down at the one, kick off to kick off. And he knew he was getting the ball in the second half. So I don't think it's that clear that that I'm not blasting Shanahan for not calling that timeout. So uh, what happened next? Um, the halftime show. Yeah. Do we get that? Yeah. I mean, uh, listen, I enjoyed it, but I, you know, I'm a normal guy. <laughs> I think it was hard not to enjoy, but it seemed like everybody, you know, involved enjoyed it. I know they, they're catching a little bit of uh, pushback from some people saying it was too racy, but it's, it's 2020, and you brought up before the show the cheerleaders dressed like this. They were all over the place. So. Yeah, I thought they were good. Thought, with me. What I liked about the show was I think the two people, the JLo and Shakira, interacted well. It wasn't mm-hmm. like you're just showing one act and another act, which sometimes happens at these shows. It seemed like it was put together right. So I like, you know, I think Rock Nation was involved with that, and, and uh, Beyonce, yeah, I'm and, sure, and Jay Z were putting it together, and I thought it looked more professional. I think a lot of people. I was down in Miami, and a lot of people were mad that Pitbull wasn't in it. They were really because he I loved Pitbull. I would have loved it. So he's Mr. 305, Mr. This and that, and not to put it down. He was at the, we were at the All-Star Game, and he was the one who performed. He was, was not really a halftime show at the All-Star Game, but mm-hmm. he did a whole big thing and whole concert there. And I, he really has been put Miami, and I was shocked that he wasn't involved in that halftime, at least something. To just And he also, he has songs with both of the women. Yeah. So I don't know what, what happened it, with it that. It must have been a money. Maybe he wasn't getting enough. Or, I did see a lot of uh, you know comparisons today. Someone posted a picture of 
Jennifer Lopez next to Blanche from the Golden Girls, both supposed to be 50 years old. Like, <laughs> there's a big difference here. <laughs> so, but it, you know, where I was at, it's like I'm out, and it was like one of those things where you go like to the restroom, and I, no, everybody stayed in their seats. I mean, that halftime show mm -hmm. was talked about, and the room erupted when they came out. People were going nuts. It was louder, I think, during the halftime show than the game <laughs> itself. But in the third quarter, see, that's what everyone's yelling about Shannon about the call. They come back after the third quarter, and what did what does San Francisco do? Drive down. Like, they drive down, and I know that they, but this is where another third and five that Jimmy G was third and five on the 27 and he passed to Coleman to get that first down. It's like, again, you don't convert on a third down and then they kick the field goal, make it 13, 10, but everyone's been saying, Oh, the 49ers didn't have the Shannon showed he damn confidence in the offense, but then they played well in the third quarter. So I don't really think that that, again, I think that people are putting much too much on that timeout on that first half. It's just something, you know, it's just some fodder, especially going into the half where there's not that, wasn't that much action that it was something to, you know, post on social media about. Chiefs come out, and then Mahomes, before he threw the interception, if you notice, he fumbled the ball and lost seven yards. Mm. He looked that something happened in that first, that whole series, he was a mess. He hadn't thrown an interception in 164 passes. He forced the ball to Hill. The pass, it looked like a Jimmy G pass. Like, the weather was perfect <laughs> there. Like, I don't know what, he's thrown in worse conditions. I thought the pass looked terrible. His th the thought pattern looked was off. I don't understand what he threw the ball for, and that was terrible. Niners get the ball, and, uh, and then they were able to go down and score and make it 20 yeah. to 10. So now they're up, they're up 20 to 10, and you're like, okay, now what's happening with, but you still think Mahomes has come back, he's come back all the time, and uh, at that point, he's only had thrown one pass attempt over 20 yards, and then, of course, on third and five at the 30, uh, Mahomes, he scrambled, uh, he scrambled at, at six. I thought that was a key play, because I think if they could have pinned him back there, I felt they were totally on the ropes. Mm -hmm. So, and it's like right at the end of the third quarter, and it was like third and five, and they looked totally discombobulated at Mahomes. Again, another, it's like his second key run of the, of the game. And uh, and then they were driving, and then he throws interse another interception. Yeah. So he throws two interceptions at eight passes. So it's 11.57. San Francisco gets the ball back on their 20-yard line. And this is where I'm starting to criticize because I'm like, this is – if you remember some games – there are two playoff games, the Minnesota game and the Green Bay game. They just dominated and just ran it out. And like the other, they don't give the team the ball. But remember how about the Dallas uh, for Rams game last year in the playoffs in L.A. when the Rams just didn't give Dallas the ball back? Just like, you're going to have an eight-minute drive. And that's what they could do. Yeah. And they get of the ball. Of all teams, yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and then they, and they go down there and, and they were able to get on, on a, on a third and, you know, they were in terms of he ran, you know, they got second and nine with most are for one yard, but mm -hmm. then he throws incomplete to Diva Samuel. Like, I'm like, why are you throwing the ball? You're dominating this line. And also your defense might be a little tired. Keep them off the field. Like let your G defense. And he throws it to Diva Samuel. That was, it, it, it was terrible. Then they got a, they got a, uh, um, uh, motion penalty made it third and fourteen, and then he then he runs. It was just a complete mess in terms of what was going on, in, uh, you know, in terms of the scrambling. Now I felt on that play, the one call they didn't call was the off was I thought they were, I thought the uh, the Chiefs were offsides on the play that they forced mm -hmm. Jimmy G out, and I thought they should have called on that. People were talking about whether it was roughed out of bounds, but I thought that was the that was the problem. But then you know then the Chiefs go down ten plays eighty three yards. At that point. I'm like, okay, now I think Mahomes has his the act together. And then they would get it first and 15, and he threw it to Hill, bad pass. And then uh, then he threw another pass to Hill that was, you know, just incomplete. But that on third and 15, he was able to throw that 40-yard pass down the field. It looks like San Francisco was totally discombobulated on their defense. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're lucky Hill didn't score a touchdown on yeah. that play. I mean, if that ball wasn't so underthrown, that's another thing people talk about. He just threw it up there. If it wasn't on the throw, Hill would have ran, ran in for mm -hmm. a touchdown. Made it 2017 with 613 to go. But what the mistake was, if they could have got first down, so San Francisco would have ran the ball more. Every first down is worth like two and a half minutes. Two hours, two minutes, 15 seconds. They could have got it down to six and four. Th th again, they could have, they, that should have been, that touchdown that the Chiefs scored should have been on with uh, like two minutes to go or something like that. Not with the time. I mean, it was just, that's the play. Then they get the ball back again. Mostart ran for five yards with 526 left. So it's 526 left. Now, again, just run the clock out. Like you've already had your chance. But again, they throw another pass. I mean, that pass to Kittle was blocked to the line of scrimmage by Chris Jones. I mean, Jimmy G doesn't even step back. He, he is to was totally oblivious on the throw and then he throws that to Bourne that terrible pass on third down like it was a complete mess he just was all his passes were but he was taking the snap and not even moving and just keeping his feet the happy feet not moving around the pocket not trying to get space not have any awareness whatsoever but and then it's, but Shanahan's like well people are saying well he has to call that play it's open but if you know your quarterback can't do that then give it to Mostar give it to Coleman give it to Debo Samuel run the ball and win the game 
No, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. It, it was interesting calls down the stretch, obviously, and you're right. I mean, if you just run the ball, it, this wasn't like the Houston game where Kansas City was down 24 nothing in the first quarter. There's not that much time left, and like you just don't have enough time to score these points. Yeah, and then you shouldn't when, have. Right, when Kansas, then Kansas City gets the ball back, and were you surprised they went down and scored again? No, <laughs> I mean, you knew that 24-20. But you know what? The, I, I'm telling you, that's Sanders' play. So there's 24-20. You know, you just knew it was going to happen. It, it's almost like, it, I, was, I hate to bring wrestling analogies. It's just like they're just waiting for Hulk Hogan to come in the ring and just call his man. <laughs> you just knew it was going to be like that. But then San Fran on that one play to Sanders, when they had the ball on third and 15, and the third and 10 or whatever, and they threw the ball down with a, with a minute 40 to go, and Sanders was wide open, and Jimmy G misses the pass. And I heard some quarterbacks, like I think Phil Simms today, said, "Oh, that's a pass. It's impossible. It's a hard pass." Nah, he was eight, that, yeah. He had five yards on him. You're, do, his contract: five years, a hundred and thirty-seven million. Like uh, uh, five years, hundred thirty. You got to make that pass. You got to make that. You got to win that game. Now, mm. I don't know if that was winning because um, Mahomes would have a minute left to wit come back. But you got to make that pass, and that was terrible. Then he got sacked. I mean, even on the sacks, he looked bad. He and he, he didn't give his offensive line a chance. I mean, they, he he just stood there. It was just terrible. Just <laughs> terrible. <laughs> well, it's just one of those things. If you had saw just the stat line and just saw that Patrick Mahomes threw two picks, sacked four times, they had one big play the entire game, and they won. It just didn't didn't add up to me. Well, Jimmy finished 20, 31, 219 yards. And Mahomes had yet 286 yards, and it was 26 or 42. But you know they had 22 carries versus 31 passes. In the previous games against, uh, you know, they had eight passes and 42 runs. So I mean, mm-hmm. completely. And, and then they were rushing 75 percent of the time. So how in the world did like what happened? And they were up. <laughs> if like you said, oh, they were down 30 nothing, they had to pass. Like they were passing and they were leading. I just don't know what Shanahan is thinking. And you know his interviews, I thought were poor. Uh, I just. I just don't how you can recover from two games like this. He just blew one World Super Bowl and now another Super Bowl. It's funny because you, you don't want to label people, but this is already looks damning on his on his resume. I mean, you guys got guys like Marty Schottenheimer who were super successful regular season coaches got fired because they can't win big games and that was maybe Andy Reid's MO going into this but Kyle Shanahan now has done that twice well Kansas City ran the ball 29 times they were trailing in the game so they ran the ball 20 times San Francisco 22 I just I look at these numbers and I look at Mostart not getting the ball and every time he got it and the offensive line like San Francisco was just dominating rushing the ball why in the world did just not keep doing that on second and five like I just question on those you know the the second down the second down passes twice that they did on second down was, uh, was a mistake because also, again, 40 seconds. People have to understand, when you're running the ball, every time you run the ball, at least 40 to 50 seconds because you have to play. So you're just able to eat that clock off. And, and if you don't give Mahomes the ball, he can't score. Mm-hmm. No, it makes sense to me. Just about uh, three, two or three minutes away from uh, Bob Moore, um, PR director and historian for the Chiefs joining us. And I'm sure he's going to be about one of the happiest guys we've spoken to in a while. What else you have with the, uh, with the game, I? Um, just in general, that it was, I think, I think what, what this shows is that Mahomes... He's young. They have a good, you know, Reed's this, this legendary coach, and he's installed his offense. And his ability to just, I got to give him credit, is that, as we say, we, we sort of glossed over the fact that he scored those two touchdowns. But he did execute. Yeah. And he also showed throughout the playoffs that he's playing poorly. He's able to come back. And that's what Brady's done. How many games mm-hmm. has Brady been poor? I mean, people forget to remember when Brady played against Manning. A lot of times Manning had a lead on the game. Brady came back. Just the ability to just make changes, just understand, not press, stay relaxed. And in the moment when all the pressure's there, that's where I give him credit. Like, I'm not taking, I want to say San Francisco blew the game, but I'm giving credit to Mahomes for winning the you game when he had to. And San Francisco's defense, inability to play. But I felt like you didn't have to give him the ball to win. But Mahomes is, is, a, is a legendary, you know, he's a legendary player now. And, and it's going to be great to see what the rest of his career is going to We already know, barring injury, for the next decade, we're going to see a lot of Patrick Mahomes in Super Bowls and in AFC Championship games, to say the least. The, the guy, he's just, he's amazing. And he's just, just getting better. He's so young. I mean, yeah, hats off to him. You, you do have to give him the credit for actually pulling this off so you didn't get into the game but that didn't keep you away from Miami and you pretty much were like a celebrity down there well as the way to get in these games is to have the contacts with the tickets I had the contacts with the parties which is shocking that I had but I went on Friday night to this leather and lace party in Wynwood these parties are amazing I mean they're first of all and this party was great and LL Cool J played in it and it was fun there and I and uh, before the party went to a restaurant right in that arts district and I talked to Dennis Robin for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. we had Darren Prince Jr. on their show his Marketing agent. So I went up 
to him and we're talking about Dare and he's like, talk about that. Rodman was hilarious. Like he was really, really funny to talk to. He was great. So, you know, so hopefully we'll ever get him on the show. But he's going to, he said, he goes, so I talked to him for like a couple of minutes and then I thought we were done talking. So I walked away and, and he goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then was like, you just dissed Dennis Rodman. And I go, <laughs> you're going to tell people on the show that you dissed me. And I go, yeah, I'll repeat the story. I didn't think, I thought we were done. And then we ended up talking for 15 more minutes. So he was pretty cool. Like it was very, very nice. And then it was, he didn't, you didn't get him uh, booked for the show. No, right I did not. Very close, but I tried. <laughs> but then we went to, on Saturday, I went down to the wheels up party, which was, you go to these places and it's just, I mean, there's, it's, beautiful. I mean, there's so much food you could eat constantly. And there's bands playing and events there. <laughs> Sam Darnall was there. Russell Wilson was there taking pictures and all these stars walking around. So that was a lot of fun. And then we went to the Gronk party, which Bill Belichick was at when it was started to Crazy. Pour, pour down rain and everything. And Gronk was taking pictures, $500 for a picture with Gronk. And it was like a line for people paying $500. But it was good. It was nice to be. That was outside. The Gronk party was on the, on the beach, but like inside. But it started to rain for that. So, but it was still like they had a band playing. It was good. But boy, the Saturday night party was tremendous. SLS Hotel. They had DJ Khaled, um, it was the DJ of that, and then they had they had Sierra. So I'm watching Sierra, which is Russell Wilson's wife, and I look next to me, and Russell Wilson's standing next to me <laughs> during the thing, which is pretty cool. And then you had uh, Charlemagne, uh, Diddy, and then Paris Hilton was like the ending, the closer DJ was Paris Hilton came up. So <laughs> it was just so cool to be there, and you saw and you see a lot of athletes, and uh, it was it was just cool to be in that type of atmosphere and see it. And I think Miami. There's nobody that can throw a party like Miami. No. Like the, the outside, the inside, it was a little cold. Thursday night, Friday night, it rained, so it sort of washed out. But by Saturday night, it was perfect. They had a party there. There was a Maxim party at, at the Fountain Blue. There was other, I mean, all throughout the city, there were parties. I don't know if it's the truth, and I, obviously I wasn't um, speaking with these people, but there was, you know, you were hearing rumors that, like, players and celebrities were all like, why isn't it in Miami every year? Like, this is where the Super Bowl should be. It should. I mean, it, clearly they know how to do it and, it, and and these events and the venues work out well, and people like to be in the even though it was the weather was a little cold those nights, it's still more perfect to have it out like that. So it was fun. We do have our caller on the line. He is Bob Moore, historian for the Kansas City Chiefs, former PR director. Bob, thank you so much for taking some time out of your celebrations, I'm assuming, and congratulations. Hey, well, thanks a lot. Yeah, it was very, very uh, celebratory events. That's after hearing you talk about these things that were going on. The one last night, uh, Bob could only make it to about 2.30 in the morning, and I backed out, but it was going long after that. So, And tomorrow we've got a parade in Kansas City, so there's a lot of things going on. But, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great night, a great day and a great night for Kansas So what did the team do after they won? Like, where did they go back to the team hotel? Um, what happened? Like, where, where was the party at after, after the victory? Uh, we went back to the team hotel, which was at the JW Marriott at Turnberry, and there was uh, uh, you know, a large by invitation, and a lot of people who were sponsors and also fans who traveled on charters and so forth. And it included a number of musical guests, much as we just mentioned a few minutes ago. Now, I'm not that familiar with some of these guests, like somebody by the name of Flo, uh, Flo, Flo Rida. Rida. Flo Rida, yes. Yeah, Flo Rida. So Flo Rida was going, going wild up there, and then he was following um, Pitbull. Pitbull was coming on at about 2.30, which meant that Bob Moore was going to be leaving by that time. You did not stay for a Pitbull? I can't believe that. That you, I mean... (laughs) Bob Moore couldn't stay because he couldn't stay awake, but my wife and daughter were there, so they were up front for a long time. And, uh, uh, I mean, they had Andy Andy Reid. I was dancing all night to Pitbull, which I thought was pretty funny, if you could think about it. But Bo Ryder was up there on stage with... uh, with the usual people, obviously the quarterback. I think uh, at one point uh, Kelsey was up there as well, and any number of players. Because a lot of the, a lot of the old guys from the past were there. They went on stage, but they were there. They'd come down to you know to support the team since many of them had, had been involved in Super Bowl uh, four, and some of them, of course, had even been there during the darker days of the seventies and eighties when things were not so good, and they were just happy to see things go. So. It was a good it was a fun night, you know, after all these years, certainly, certainly a great night. So you, you've been for the team for 30 years. I heard that they took everybody that was working anywhere with Kansas City to the game, which is a really nice gesture. Is the stadium still there when you got back? Was Arrowhead there? No one just didn't rob the entire stadium and take it, take it to, the, to their backyard? Yeah, no. Everything is pretty much the same. Any problem we're going to have on Wednesday with the snow and ice storms, and so let's hope that it, uh, we can stick around and still have it that time, don't have to move it, but it's been a tough 
been a tough winter for Kansas City right now. So getting down to Florida where the weather was, people thought it was cool, and you could see our people running around in shorts because we thought it was just pretty, pretty outstanding. You guys can have a party with snow and ice. I've been to two. I've been to your game against the Steelers, and it, it was like a, a an ice storm for that game. Fortunately, the Steelers were able to get a victory there. But Bob, you're the historian for the Chiefs, and for my listeners here in West Palm Beach, uh, you know a lot of teams missed on Patrick Mahomes. Could you give me? It looks like he's going to be this legend on this team. Tell us about how they drafted him, why they drafted him, what you were hearing when they drafted him. Like, give us a sense of, of how Patrick Mahomes landed with the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, certainly uh, the quarterback position for the Chiefs has been a, it's been a blood sport uh, for a long time, given the fact that the team has struggled in finding someone that they could call a, a, a franchise quarterback and during my period there. That's probably the one thing that kept Marty Schottenheimer from advancing into the playoffs and, and winning. Uh, the furthest we got during Marty's era was with, with Joe Montana, who obviously was at the end of his career. Um, so it was, of course, in those days, where were the Chiefs picking? And they really weren't in a position to pick somebody high. In the case of Mahomes, as I understand it, and you have to remember now, a lot of people are taking credit for Patrick Mahomes. One is never sure, you know, and, uh, you know, oh, well, this guy saw him. He liked him, too. But, you know, somebody had to pull the trigger when it came to picking him, and obviously that would have been a combination of John Dorsey, who was so at the time, and Andy Reid. Um, Fred Beach uh, apparently was a guy who got up on the table to uh, a number of times. Fred's now the current general manager with the team. So, you know, when you take a, a quarterback from, from Texas Tech, they haven't had the greatest success on coming into the pros, but in this particular case, obviously this guy's made the exception. I mean, the one thing that's changed for the Kansas City Chiefs in terms of what we've been able to accomplish in this past year, and actually the year before, was that position. I mean, there's no question that he's made the difference, and he gives you hope where, say, in the past, uh, you're going to have to overcome a lot of things. And then Andy Reid. I mean, I've, you know, you have some. You know, you talked about Marty Schottenheimer not being able to get over the hump in terms of making it to the Super Bowl. We'll talk about the decision to bring in Andy Reid and really what Andy Reid has done to the franchise in terms of even before winning the Super Bowl, but what's he meant to this franchise? Well, you really hit on it right there because that's the one unknown story, the story you haven't talked about, the condition of the of the franchise before Andy Reid got there. It went through some particularly low periods a couple of years now where the franchise was in, in, in deep despair based on record and you know, a couple of the incidents. A player who committed suicide in the parking lot. A little dark period. Uh, it just so happened that when those changes took place, Andy Reid was available by, by the fact that he was out as a Philadelphia Eagles coach. Imagine the great good fortune that Clark Hunt was able to get a guy with the quality of, of uh, the resume that, that Andy Reid had and get him at that particular point and didn't miss a beat. So if you remember, uh, the team immediately began to have success when Andy came. So it wasn't as if uh, the quarterback certainly took us over the hump, but prior to that, Alex Smith had a great, had very good, good success in Kansas City uh, in the playoffs. And, and even though we didn't, we lost, uh, you know, in, in, in some of the later rounds, to get to a, to a championship game. Andy Reid is the one who took us from a real bad period to where we had some success. There's no question, Andy Reid is the major difference, and then comes the quarterback. So, and one of the things they're questioning in terms of Patrick Mahomes is, okay, now we have to give him $40 million to be the quarterback. There won't be money left over for the rest of the team. How do you think the team's going to certainly going to sign Patrick Mahomes and pay him whatever he wants, but do you expect there might be a little hometown discount so we can get, do something like Brady did and bring in and have this great dynasty? Do you, do you see something like that happening, or do you think the team is able to, will be able to build around him even at the $40 million number? Well, I, I, again, I don't know what the number's going to be. As far as dynasty's concerned, I think that's full of stock. I, I hear that every year about teams. And, you know, that's a very rare occasion where you have a dynasty. I think the closest thing would be, obviously, uh, the Patriots. And, and that had to do with their quarterback and also their head coach. Because if you remember last year's Super Bowl winner, the Patriots really won that game on defense. So, you know, at this particular point, I think keeping the the major portion of the team together would be would be something that they would do. He added some features on defense, which was the biggest turnaround in, in the franchise's 
improvement this year from what it had been last year. So uh, I have no idea, uh, no question, in the, in the uh, free agent era, you can't keep everybody, but I think there are some, some there that, uh, that the team would hold up. And I think you see them last year and also this year. We're talking to Bob Moore, the former PR director of the Chiefs for 20 years, and he's now the team historian. And I guess being the team historian, I mean, I, what I was shocked with, and I'm at the Super Bowl and, and, and walking around, is, I mean, the Chiefs fans, the pride of their team, they're supposed to, they're very knowledgeable. And I, I like how the franchise likes to, you know, they celebrate their past. They celebrate the great players that played on that team. And I think that's something special. You don't see that. I mean, you might think you expect that because some of the great franchises have that, but not to the extent that the Chiefs do. I mean, you're only one of, I think, six team historians in the NFL. But talk about what the Chiefs' pride is. And, and, I, and also the referencing the current players. I saw uh, Tyreek Hill talk about, you know, the other wide receivers that had been Chiefs before. I mean, it's just, it seems like it is important to know the Chiefs do have this certain pride of being a Chief. I think there's no doubt about that, and that dates all the way back to the fact that the founder of the franchise and actually the founder of an entire uh, professional football league is Lamar Hunt. I mean, it is, it, when, you have a, when you have an owner, in this case a family, made its beginnings back um, to uh, more or less a pioneer in the development of the game, you're probably going to be a little bit more appreciative of history than you wouldn't say someone who just got involved in wanting to own a franchise. I mean, Lamar was very, very cognizant. And the fact that uh, later, um, as uh, when Carl Peterson came and took over as general manager, he reinstituted the ambassadors, which essentially were former players who were acting as mentors to the current players that were coming on. They were all players that went back, say, like Bobby Bell, the Willie Lanier's, those players who went back, uh, Buck Buchanan, those players who went back to that earliest days of the league. So there's probably a little bit more appreciation for history with the franchise by the fact that it comes from Lamar Hunt. And, you know, we have the largest, probably largest collection uh, on, on exhibit of AFL artifacts in the AFL story that exists anywhere in the, uh, in the country right now. So it's probably a little bit more... Uh, we probably should spend a little more time on it than most teams. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, Bob, I know you have a busy week planned. I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you so much for coming yeah. on. I know you were in Miami, and then you fly to Kansas City of the parade. I want you to enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. I mean, I wish the Steelers were having a parade. I mean, as a Steeler fan, but look, <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, we've had we've had six parades. So, but I was a little young for the first four. But, um, but enjoy this time. Enjoy the town. I heard the kids have off school today and everything, and just yeah. it. It's yep. a it's a great time. So thank you so much hey, for. I appreciate it. You betcha. And you take care of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's seven forty. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Along for the ride. Got about ten minutes or so until we get to um, Pat Williams of the Orlando Magic. Let's talk a little NBA. Yes. Why well, on Tuesday? We haven't talked yet. And I know you're you, you're salivating to get some NBA. Well, no, because I went to the Boston Heat game on Tuesday down mm-hmm. at the American Airlines, and what a game! I mean, I love the game, and they both teams are playing hard. Uh, I, this was again. I, we talked about this a little last week. It seemed like when Kobe's death is, the teams are focused. I mean, there seemed to be a period of time where team players were just. I saw a couple games in LA where no one cared, but it, it seemed like now after Kobe's tragic passing, the, the players were like taking their craft more seriously. Mm-hmm. The games was a very, it almost was a playoff atmosphere in terms of the intensity really? of the game. The Celtics didn't have Tatum, but uh, but they they're a good team. And the Heat had only lost two games before in that home. They had the record, the best home record in the NBA. But the Celtics got out of the lead and blew them out. But it was good to be at the game. Hayward played really great. Uh, but Bam, Bam had a bio for the Heat. Oh, just developing into a superstar player uh, for them. Made, made the All-Star game, which is made, great. Made the All-Star game and justifies the Whiteside trade, even though Whiteside's playing great for Portland. It seems like you know, sometimes you make these trades, you're like, what could this happen? It was good for the Heat to get a bio, letting him do what he does. And the, I'm sitting next to some of the game, he's like, we need another center, we need another center. I'm like, no, 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 you're fine. <laughs> so you don't need to have the big plotting centers. So, <laughs> of course. But that was good. But no, for the Heat, you know, their, their position, great for the playoffs. They're playing well this year, and I'm going to you know, certainly catch some more games the rest of the year. Yeah. 
it'd be cool to have a home playoff series, which it's, you know, obviously if the season ended today, that would happen. But it's going to be teams like Boston that we've got to beat and, you know, obviously didn't get the results uh, last They're week. A fun, they're popular. I'm going to tell you something. The, the Duncan Robinson, Tyro, Tyler Hero, uh, Kendrick Nunn, these are all, you know, Hero was drafted high. Duncan Robinson wasn't drafted from Michigan. Uh, Nunn wasn't drafted at all. Yeah. And and they really have this, they play hard. I mean, now you bring Jimmy Butler, who's just the perfect fit for this team because he plays so hard. And, and I just, there's everything about it. It's a fun team to root for. And they have the crazy Miami Vice uniforms now. <laughs> it's a, that, you know, the, definitely there's that excitement back. And people thought when Dwayne Wade left, it's like, what was going to happen in the arena? What was going to be the vibe and stuff? And it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's funny how, you know, I was looking at this team the last two years and, you know, I've become a de facto Heat fan, partly because the Knicks are just the worst run franchise in sports. But looking at this team and thinking, man, like they're just buried with bad contracts. They've got a whole bunch of mediocrity, no superstars. Pat Riley turned this around in one offseason. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and they're set going forward. So hopefully these players will stay hungry and they're going to have a lot of cap room next year. So we'll see what happens. I think they're like one piece away. The NBA trade, the trade deadline is on Thursday. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with these trades, whether something major is going to go down. I mean, you hear some rumors. But I heard not D'Angelo a, Russell to the Knicks. Well, anything with the Knicks or whatever. But I mean, they create their own. Yes, <laughs> but you just got. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this trade deadline and if something big is going to happen. It, it's usually something you out of the blue. It's not like like we're talking. We don't want to talk baseball right now. But bets going to the Dodgers has been rumored now for like two weeks, and mm. so it might happen. It seemed like the baseball moves to take some time. Cole to the Yankees. Everybody knew that was going to happen as a signing. But it seems like in basketball, it just come out of nowhere. We did get to see um, Zion's first game, and it was it was all right. We did talk about it last week. Yeah. But I wanted to mention, I was so excited for it because, of course, I'm a humongous Zion fan. In the first and second and third quarters, I mean, he looked like he was terrible. Like, it was a disaster. In that fourth quarter, he comes in and he's just draining threes and he's and he's driving and playing strong. I mean, he that was just amazing. That that was a great start. Like, I'm thinking, what a terrible first game. His final line was 18 minutes. He was 8 for 11 shooting, 4 for 4 from threes. He had 7 rebounds, 3 assists. And I like the fact, the key thing for Zion is Lonzo Ball. I know that sounds crazy. Crazy, but Lonzo likes to pass it to him. And Lonzo understands to pass it to him, whereas R.J. Barry, when he's a Duke, didn't want to pass the ball to him. So <laughs> the point is that Lonzo had, like, I mean, his assist numbers are like 10 or 11, 12. And now Zion's been playing great. He has, he's, he's only averaging about, uh, he's played like 18 minutes, 21 minutes, 27, 30, and 29. So he's been in the high 20s. But he's averaging almost 20 points a game, eight rebounds a game, and looks fantastic. I mean, I was nervous. After that first three quarters, I was like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, this is not the Zion from college. And now he's back to being Zion. I'm so. sure there was plenty of pressure with John Morant, who's been everything you could hope for in the number two pick. You know, he's like, oh man, I gotta go out here and do something special. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, we're gonna get in the standings, but it was, uh, the the Pelicans are, uh, are you know, knocking at the door to try to get a playoffs. I'm sure the league would just love to get signed oh, for the playoffs. absolutely. Yes. National TV every night. Mm-hmm. Um, what are those standings before we get to tennis? Yeah, well, just real quick is that, I just wanna go over the East a little bit. I mean, Milwaukee is so far ahead. They're playing great. Giannis is just dominating. Middleton, people say, oh, they're only Giannis. Middleton just had 50 points the other night. He's, he's a great player, too. Toronto, everyone said, oh, quiet left. They're going to be terrible. Siakam uh, is just a tremendous all-star. Van Exel has been playing great. Kyle Lowry plays well. I mean, they're, they're positioned to any of these teams. They're positioned to beat Milwaukee. Boston, I saw them play. Boston and Miami, both playing great. Uh, but they're still, you know, they're six, seven, eight games back. So they're all bunched in there. Indiana is like 11 back, but they just got Oladipo back. They're playing better. They're another team. Like, if Indiana made it to the finals, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, that's a team mm-hmm. that wouldn't. And then Philadelphia is just a mess. Like, I think that they play... They get up for the big games against the Lakers and win, but then they go lose. So they just they don't seem with Simmons and Embiid. I'm not. I don't think they're going to be sold for the the um, postseason because I don't think Embiid can play an entire series. And I think these teams play a lot harder. Like these teams, I, Brett Brown is going to be out of his job by the end of the year. But Brooklyn, then then you get to the seventh and eighth seeds, Brooklyn and Orlando, and they're 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 one. Brooklyn is 21 and 27. Orlando is 21 and 28. And then really the rest of the league isn't really trying at all. Chicago, everyone's injured on the team. Washington is a disaster. Uh, besides Beal, Detroit is trying to trade everyone. That was, and so that's <laughs> where you're going to see the trades is from the. Chicago's, the Washington's, Detroit's, New York, Cleveland, Atlanta. See some of these trades and these teams make moves. So that's why I want to talk about the East because they really have six teams that are 
going to make the you know that are you know very good teams, and the rest are horrendous. I mean, and, and it might not even be a playoff race because the difference between Orlando and Chicago is so great. Way Pat Williams on talking about that. Yeah, and, and uh, we will get to Pat Williams in just about three minutes or so uh, here on Iron Sports. Real quick, Australian Open. Iron, I know you were staying up late for this. Yeah, or, or it was up hard. Early. It was hard. It was hard. And I'm telling you, Federer had these great matches. He beat Millman in like five sets, and then he went against Tennis Sandgren, who's greatest name in the world, but he's ranked 100 in the world from Tennessee, who had eight match points against uh, Federer, and, and Federer was able to get into this court semis against Djokovic, and Djokovic, he was up like 4-1, 40 love, and blew that first game, the first thing, 7-6, and then he lost 6-4, 6-3. Djokovic was able to uh, to close him out, and uh, but that was, it was fun. It might be the last time, you never know, Federer's 38, Djokovic's 32, could that be the last time? And then uh, Theme, who we talked about from Austria, number five in the world, he beat uh, Nadal in, in, in the quarterfinals, uh, in 7-6, 7-6, 4-6, 7-6. You remember, Theme's the one who all, just lost to Nadal in the U.S. Open, who just lost to Nadal in the French Open last year, and uh, Nadal was playing great, but Theme, Theme beat him. And then he beat Sasha Zarev, who I criticize, the guy from Russia, all the time because he doesn't do well in the Grand Slams, but he wins all these tournaments that no one cares about. And his <laughs> number is seven in the world, based upon that. But you know what? He actually played Theme really well, and he made it to the semifinals. Theme goes to the finals, and then against Djokovic, it was hard. It was the night before the, the, the night. Before, it's like I want to watch this match, but I also want to go to the Super Bowl and not be totally dead tired. So I got back from the parties, watched the first set, saw Djokovic go up six four. I'm like, okay, he's going to cruise along. Then of course he loses the next two sets. <laughs> then I wake up and I watch the final two, and he was able to close the close <laughs> theme out. And it was uh, so now Djokovic's at seventeen majors, Nadal's at nineteen, and Federer's at twenty. So Djokovic, everyone is now thinking he's playing perfect. He's playing great. You know, he could end up being the greatest player of all time. And and it's just exciting to watch this. I just I just love that in terms of what's going on and, and of those things. What happened to our girl Coco Golf? Well, you know what? She had a big win. She she played well and beat Venus, beat Osaka, and uh, she lost to Sophia Kennan. And no one talks about Sophia Kennan. I saw Sophia Kennan in the U.S. Open. She plays on like the eighth court. There's maybe like a, 200 people watching her. Coco Golf is lined up. But Sophia, she's been a, she's American her whole life. People think she's Russian. She's lived here since she's been like a few days old. And uh, she's been a prodigy. She's 21 years old, and she uh, number ranked 21 in the world. But she beat. Uh, 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 she, she beat uh, Pliskova. I watched her when she won, but she was able to get to uh, the finals. And uh, Mogorosa beat uh, Halep uh, to get to the finals, and she won that. So it was a good win for Americans in terms of the rest of the Americans are terrible. I mean, the players I talk about, Madison Keys, Taylor Townsend, Daniel Collins, Sloane Stevens, they did bad. Serena lost to, to Quinn Wang in three sets, who she beat in New York in 45 minutes. So the American women did not play well, but then there's just so many of them that you're just waiting for someone to have consistency. And yeah. I like to see Sophia, but you know she is a she plays very hard. She's very intense in the court. She's not smiling. She's not happy mm-hmm. off the court. She's fun, but you know you hear it in her interviews. But on the court, she's just really intense. And she's twenty. You know we're going to be interested to see what she does for uh, the rest of the year. Ira, where are you headed this week? I don't know. We'll have to see. I think um, I'm not, we're not. We'll we'll have to check. This has been this has been a difficult one. <laughs> um, Ira, before we uh, get to Pat Williams, you want to run back uh, on uh, just who he is once again. Pat was at the was the general manager of the Sixers for a dozen years when they had Joe Bryan and drafted Joe Bryan, who was Kobe's father. And so he's been no, he's you know had he said he's going to talk on the radio the interview about how uh, he saw Kobe when he was a couple years old playing basketball on the court. He go to Kobe used to go to all the games. So then he's got to, and then also he he was, you know came to the Magic and and been involved in the NBA. And I've heard him on the interviews. But I've heard him on the radio before. He is such a historian of the game, and he's so passionate about basketball. And, you know, people, when I remember he fought to get or the Magic, the team. People thought, Orlando's never going to get an NBA team. Like, we're never going to put an NBA team in Orlando. But his, just his passion and his enthusiasm got that team there. So I'm, I was just glad we caught him on our show. It's our first time we had him on, and uh, I'm excited to, for everyone to hear the interview. Let's do that now. We'll catch up next Monday night, Iron Sports. And we have Pat Williams, who was the former general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers and the founder of the Orlando Magic. Uh, and thanks for bringing basketball to, to Florida. But, uh, Pat, I wanted to brought you on because I know you were very close to Kobe Bryant, his family, and with this tragic passing, if you could just give some thoughts about, about your feelings about it and, and, and your experiences with Kobe. Well, we go way back, Ira, with his father uh, in 1975. Uh, that was the summer when we drafted Daryl Dawkins and Lloyd Free. We signed George McGinnis as a free as a ABA player who came to us and then 
the Warriors uh, drafted Joe Bryant, Jelly Bean Bryant, that was his nickname, on the first round. However, uh, they lost their rights to him uh, when they failed to properly tender him uh, his con- the, the contract. So he became a free agent. He lived in Philadelphia, and we jumped on it, and we signed him. And uh, that's how he got to Philadelphia. Uh, he was there with us for four years. Uh, I can remember vividly uh, when Kobe was born in 1978. Uh, he and his wife Pam were expecting, and uh, Kobe came uh, the night before. They were eating dinner at a Kobe steakhouse. They didn't have a name for this little boy yet, and so they thought, well, let's just call him Kobe in honor of our dinner here. And uh, that's what happened. That's how he became Kobe Bryant. Uh, I can remember him as an infant coming to the games in the arms uh, usually of his grandparents, who were big fans. And uh, that was how we first met Kobe Bryant. And a year later, in 1979, we traded uh, Joe Bryant to San Diego for a future first-round pick. And he played there for a while. Then he ended up going to Houston uh, before a seven-year run in Italy. Uh, Kobe was five when his dad moved to Italy. Uh, he was 12 when they came back to the States. And in that period, Kobe uh, learned basketball, uh, became an international citizen, became fluent in Italian. And uh, it's quite a story, really, quite a remarkable story. Yeah, I mean, he was... When he, I heard, you know, I read about in terms of during the summers, even though he was living in Italy in the summers, he would come back and play in the Philadelphia Summer Leagues and was becoming popular in Philadelphia as a as this legend, even though he was living in Italy during that period of time. Well, he never lost his roots in Philly. You know, that's where his dad was from. That's where his mother was from. That's where he was born. And um, he, he traveled to San Diego and then Houston and then overseas to Italy because of his dad's basketball journeys. Uh, But his heart really remained in Philadelphia. He ended up uh, going to high school in Philadelphia, Lower Marion High School in Ardmore, PA, uh, a public school in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And, of course, his accomplishments there were legendary. Uh, You know, he just became a great, great uh, Philadelphia legend as far as high school basketball was concerned and uh, could have gone to any college in the country, I'm sure. But <clears throat> his heart was set on uh, becoming a pro. And back in that period, uh, high school kids could still come out uh, after their senior year in high school. Uh, that has since changed where they have to at least go to college for one year. Uh, but Kobe came right out, 13th pick. Today, he would have been, obviously would, would have been the first pick. Uh, but uh, back then in that period, high school kids were still kind of suspect. And a lot of teams were leery <clears throat> or wary <clears throat> or opposed in principle uh, to drafting high school kids. That's how he came down to the 13th pick. And uh, that was the Charlotte pick. The Lakers wanted him, and they gave up their center, Vladi Divash, for that pick. And that's how Kobe ended up in L.A. And you were at the Magic at the time, and some people thought they were making that trade to get rid of Divock's salary to some extent. I mean, the question is, were they getting Kobe or getting rid of the salary so that they could then sign Shaq? So, I mean, at that time, they were, you know, to pair Shaq and Kobe together, but people had no idea how good Kobe was going to be, but everybody knew who Shaq was. And you were with the Magic well, at the time. Well, it was all part of Jerry West's master plan, probably his finest hour as a, a basketball executive. Uh, he moved his center uh, knowing that he had a chance to bring Jack aboard as a free agent and would no longer have any need for Divash. And uh, uh, Jerry saw something in this 17-year-old kid uh, that really struck a chord with him. And, uh, and, and so he took Kobe there. And as it turns out, Shaq and Kobe were uh, quite a remarkable duo. Uh, they won three straight titles, uh, probably could have won more if, if they'd stayed together longer, uh, but they brought uh, incredible success to, to the Laker franchise. And then in 2009, actually, the Magic had an improbable run to the finals with Dwight Howard. Uh, the Magic played the Lakers in the finals. That was probably the, the 
at that period of time, one of the best teams in terms of the Lakers I had playing tremendous basketball. But that finals was, it was just ironic that the Magic were playing the Lakers and they were involved in that big trade. This was uh, strictly Kobe's team now. Yeah. Uh, they had picked up Paul Gasol. Uh, they had some nice pieces. Uh, but Kobe was at the very, very peak of his career at this point. Uh, he was uh, just a phenomenal player. And uh, loved having that full responsibility uh, for the team. Liked it being liked the fact that it was Kobe's team. And I remember that playoff, that finals uh, vividly. Uh, we gave him a good tussle. Had a chance to win Game One in L.A. Had a, had a terrific chance. And uh, we were in a couple of those games, but uh, couldn't quite pull it off. And then it was interesting about how Kobe, who was such a star in the players, you know, it's single with the mama mentality. But now we remember Kobe more as this mentor and how he has was texting. It seemed like almost every single player of the league and, and motivating them. And, and when did Kobe make that transition in terms of being just this singular, you know, Kobe, myself, the mama mentality for myself to being the mentor, it seemed like for the entire NBA? Well, I think it began as he began to age. I think he realized that there was, uh, there was um, a great fulfillment, a great satisfaction in having an impact on younger players. I think he truly enjoyed that. I think he was a teacher at heart and uh, really enjoyed transferring uh, his experiences and his knowledge uh, to this next generation coming along. And he continued to do that in the four years since he retired. Uh, I, I think he was in touch with many players still in the league. Uh, he, he loved working with young players, including his daughter's team. Um, he had a great love for women's basketball. Uh, he was really absorbed with that. Uh, probably through the impact of his 13-year-old daughter, who loved basketball and looked like she had a tremendous future. So Kobe got caught up in, in the women's game. But I think, as I said, he, he enjoyed passing on his knowledge. Uh, he enjoyed his role as a life coach, as a sage, as a mentor. I think that was really a big part of his life. Yeah, and, and in terms of, we're talking to Pat Williams, who was the founder of the, of the Orlando Magic and former general manager of the Sixers about Kobe Bryant. Um, Pat, you know, the Magic this year sort of almost have that Mamba mentality playing tough. I mean, a lot of people had wrote them off, and uh, you got to be happy that they're still battling for that eighth playoff spot. And, and, you know, the team is, you know, I've seen them play about three, four times this year, and, you know, just they're playing hard, they're playing tough, and just impressed with how the, how the Magic are hanging in there this year. Well, they are, and we've had a, a really tough injury to one of our best players, Jonathan Isaac. He has been out for a while now and looks like he'll be out further, and that, that's really been a blow to us. But uh, we play hard every night, um, you know, full effort. have a terrific coach in Steve Clifford. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're hanging in for one of those playoff spots in the East, and uh, that's why the second half of the season is going to be so important here in Orlando. But we have a, a, a team that people enjoy watching, our crowds have been good. The enthusiasm remains high. And uh, we'll see what the second half brings. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is that people, like, went down to a heat game last week. It took me two and a half hours to get down from West Palm Beach to Miami. I went to the Pro Bowl in Orlando, and it took me two hours. So people think in West Palm that you're closer to Miami, but technically with traffic sometimes it's easier to get to Orlando, and you can catch some of your teams. And, and it's a great – it's an easy drive and a great place to watch basketball. But I also, well, that's good, yeah, good go. to hear. I, I agree with all of that. Uh, <laughs> Orlando, in the center part of the state, uh, you've got access to Orlando from, from everywhere in Florida. <clears throat> and uh, I think we draw from many spots, uh, you know, not close to Orlando. And then the other thing you're involved is, I know we're in West Palm Beach here, and we have the four minor league baseball, four, not minor league, four uh, spring training sites for teams, but I know you're very involved with the Orlando Dreamers and trying to bring professional baseball, Major League Baseball, to Orlando. Ira, that's the next big project on my calendar, uh, trying to convince uh, Major League Baseball uh, that Orlando can be an outstanding big league city. And we're in the middle of that process now. We're encouraging 
uh, people who want to do this uh, to go up to our website, orlandodreamers.com, and, uh, and just say, yes, uh, great idea, I'm in. Uh, I want to be part of this. Uh, so we're encouraging people to do that. OrlandoDreamers.com is the website. Uh, we've got about 12,000 people that have already gone up there. Uh, but we want to deliver a message uh, to Major League Baseball uh, that this community is red hot to be a big league baseball city. And uh, they're all in. So uh, we're encouraged. We feel that uh, we're making good progress. And we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, Major League Baseball has said... Uh, that they want to add two new teams uh, and get to 32 teams. They're also aware uh, that Oakland and St. Pete have problems with ballparks, and they've got to try and get that resolved. And uh, we're not above uh, trying to convince the, uh, uh, the Rays that uh, uh, they'd be much better off in Orlando. Well, so we'll see how all that plays out. Well, I mean, you wish you the best of luck. I mean, there's, you know, Orlando, the Magic, and the Heat, both, uh, so, you know, both are thriving in two markets. So I, I don't see the problem with having the Marlins and the, and the Orlando Dreamers in the same in the same state. But I, you know, I, I would love to keep. I mean, I think it would be it would be bad for baseball to have if say the the Rays would leave Tampa to have only one team in Florida for baseball major league. To think how popular baseball is in this state, uh, that I just would think it would be horrendous to leave the state with just one team. Well, I agree, and uh, they, uh, the Rays just have never been able to make it in St. Pete. Uh, it's a small market, really, and, and we're uh, trying to convince them that as they study whether to go to Montreal or whether to play in two cities, uh, uh, we're trying to convince them uh, that Orlando would be the perfect spot for them to land eventually. Well, Pat, I want to thank you a lot. I know you're very busy and, and working with the Dreamers and your motivational speaking, and I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9, and uh, everybody go to the Orlando. Say that website again, so because I haven't done it. I promise to do it right when we're done with the show uh, to go on the website and, and to support the Dreamers. You know, OrlandoDreamers.com, Ira. Thanks for going up there. And it's, it's, uh, you'll, you'll learn some things, and uh, you get to register and simply say, yeah, count on me. Uh, I want to do this. I think it's a great idea. I want to be part of the Dreamers. So uh, that's that's really the message here. Well, you brought basketball to Orlando when people thought it was never going to happen. So if anyone could do it, you can, Pat. So I appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and and, uh, and talk about Kobe and the Magic and the Dreamers. And, uh, and thank you very much. All the best to you. Thanks, Ira. Bye-bye. Bye.